Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Wireless Buds podcast run by Matthew, Noah, and Max. This week we're diving into episode one, The Fermi Paradox, from The End of the World with Josh Clark. This was recommended to us by one of our listeners, and for that, we say thank you. So the Fermi paradox, to start us off, um, is a idea that came up, um, well, from some scientists. Uh, I believe his name was Enrico Fermi, but basically they were talking about um, alien life and whether it exists or not. And he basically phrased the question of, um, well, where's the evidence, basically? Like, uh, if if there's aliens out there or other intelligent life forms, um, why don't we know about it yet? And the reason this is a paradox, it's it's more like um, like a like a Schrodinger's cat paradox rather than a like a, a paradox of, of like a statement saying like uh, like I always lie. It's um, it's a it's a paradox of like evidence is not there. But the way um, you try to quantify whether or not something should be there um, puts you in a deeper hole. Um, so basically, it's it's stating that our our universe is so many years old, and we seem to be in our relative space the only evidence of intelligent life that we can see. And then it obviously divulges from there to uh, multiple different. Um, theories of of how aliens could exist or might have existed or maybe why they don't. So it's pretty yeah, comprehensive. But yeah, I think he covered it really well um, and elegantly at that. You know, um, it does. You know, while you were speaking, though, I was just thinking um, of the word empiricism, and. I remember sort of uh, when I was an undergrad and I was studying science, just like how uh, how important it was to think about things uh, empirically and, you know, and how relevant that is for daily life. And even if you want to get into like a philosophical conversation about truth, um, we don't have to go so far as thinking like, okay, um, when we weigh, you know, the universe, are we going to say we're the only intelligent life or not? It can be way more simple than that, in my opinion. It could be so much as like, am I sitting in a chair right now? Like these basic observations of reality, modern philosophy would say are totally subject to debate. We don't have to debate super grandiose universal things because even having enough evidence to say that there's a seat that I'm sitting on right now is for most philosophers and metaphysicians is like difficult to 100% say. That's an interesting turn of thought you bring up. I've, uh, I'm not 
super familiar with that, but it, it does seem interesting because as I was listening to this um, podcast for evidence, both for and against why aliens could exist or why they can't um, or why they should, it seemed that it was each um, kind of story or theory that was brought up seemed to go down a path and it was just kind of that directional thinking where um, the evidence was either for or against it and it didn't seem like there was um, a whole lot to go off of. It just seemed like a set path when it's it's like, okay, you're, you're a person thinking of, okay, maybe life would evolve in these certain ways because that's how we did it. Um, but we have, I mean, we're working with one singular data point of our own existence, so... Yeah, I think the, try, the thing that stood yeah. out to me the most was that for every answer of, like, why haven't we observed alien life yet it was all from the standpoint of well what would what would we expect from ourselves like what if the aliens are like us it was always that kind of viewpoint but it was unsaid um it's like we we would assume that aliens want to find other life you know but well, no, because there's there was the point of of like maybe aliens don't want to find other life because there's something there's something bigger out there that's trying to destroy other civilizations. But again, that's that's more of like a um, like that radio silence of other civilizations is more just like theory talking of okay, maybe there's just some bigger you know <laughs> life life uh, or organization out there that's just going around destroying everybody. I mean, it's just. It's very much like whimsical in a way, um, uh, and it just seems know. like we're applying our own thinking to uh, the way other civilizations may expand. And and they've you know touched on things like like the Goldilocks zone, where plant has to be of a certain size and volume, and your Earth, quote unquote, has to be a certain distance away from from that. But that's that's for life forms similar to us to evolve, but. You know, I think one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with a mathematician uh, was something like, uh, have you ever heard of rings? And, and uh, I was like, uh, no, no, I have not ever heard of rings. Um, and this person, this mathematician began to explain to me the, um, I believe he called it, was, was it called a metrical system? Noah, maybe you know more about that. But um, basically that the mathematics that we use to represent things because math is at least for that mathematician was about representation above all other things. Um, like our math is, is totally invented for based upon sort of human evolution. Like we eventually came up with numbers. We eventually developed these systems like evolution followed a singular path to get us to this moment where we use numbers to represent things. Right. Um, and to standardize, like a system uh, for measuring, for doing various things in our lives that make our lives easier. And you guys may contest that and that's fine, but I'm just trying to get something out on the board here. Um, but rings, as I came to understand, uh, was basically a, to a totally different metrical system that was invented by some guy. Um, and, and it used a totally different system to count and to organize and 
I know nothing more about it besides than what is called in about the existence of different metrical systems, which are just basically entirely different, not even counting, but representation systems is what they are, um, that are kind of like weird cousins to what we know is mathematics. Um, but I don't know, it makes me think that even thinking about all this stuff in terms of our own human evolution is just severely lacking. You know what I mean? That like, it's very difficult to think of nothingness, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, we couldn't even evolutionarily or intellectually fathom, you know, what antimatter could be like in our minds. It's not negative space. It's not this, it's not that in terms of what we know, and because we understand things through metaphors, there's no metaphor that can explain certain things. And when we think that way, it's it's just really limiting. But I just wanted to say one more thing about what you said, Noan. It almost sounds like it's not a conversation about physics. Like, it sounds like it's a conversation about a science fiction book. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we're, we're talking about, oh, yes. you know, the, the other life forms are like deciding, if, you know, we're good or I don't know. It's like well, Star Trek. No, exactly. Contact, it's, it's, like sto- you know? it's like stories of why they could maybe exist, but why we haven't seen them yet or something along those lines. That just seems a bit, I don't know. It seems a bit tedious to me. And it seems like it has nothing to do with physics. Like, cause I do feel like Fermi's paradox has something to do with empiricism, something to do with like evolution and something to do with science fiction. <laughs> or, you yeah, know so so I, I actually wrote down the numbers here and, and uh, the reason it was, I guess, divulged from, uh, like a, I guess, like a science perspective is, um, here's here's the numbers for you. But the Earth or the the universe, excuse me, is thirteen and a half or over thirteen and a half billion years old. Um, and basically, humans have been around for like ten thousand of those years. Um, basically, stating that um, you know we're we're a very short speck in that thirteen point seven billion year old universe and the other number i have here is uh it took 3.5 billion years for uh life on earth from like start to where we are currently so even then we're um still just a fraction of like the total time existence that the universe has been alive um basically implying that there has been ample time for other civilizations or other um, life forms to have developed, and and they kept referencing the "there's been plenty of time." Like I heard that that phrase yeah. thrown around um, throughout the podcast. Just it's been plenty of time. It's been plenty of time. And the problem I had with that is, um, if life on Earth has been around for three and a half billion years, and and you know the Earth is or the universe itself is only like thirteen and a half billion years. I mean, so that's that's a massive amount of time. Obviously, like billions is extremely hard to quantify. Just like thinking of it in your mind, but in terms of like a fractional perspective, it's it's a significant proportion. Still, I mean, it's it doesn't seem like I mean, like three and a half billion years out of thirteen and a half billion years. I mean, that's that seems like a a seemingly reasonable amount of time um, for something to come about. I mean, if you think about it, when the universe is first expanding, it's extremely hot. You're not going to have 
um, life pop up like like us maybe you had different life forms but as as it started to cool maybe those ones died off and i know they say they like look for evidence of of other civilizations but then you're also limited by how fast light can travel so like if you're looking out into space trying to see things of past civilizations you're only going to be able to see your relative space and your relative space is going to be old um if that makes sense so like the the light from the sun takes i think it's like eight minutes to reach earth it's like six or eight or something like that yeah something like that so if you're looking at the sun you're looking at um an old version of the sun so you take that up in size i mean you look out at like uh, like Jupiter, even Pluto, like in in our own solar system, and you're looking at a much older version of what's actually existing there right now. So it just seems like we're limited by quite a few things, um, and this paradox is made up of lack of evidence because we can't see stuff, but light can only travel at a certain speed, so... <laughs> I don't know. It just uh, it it put me in a in a weird place where it was like, like I said, it just seemed like we were making up stories to why we can't see things when it seems like the most obvious is, well, there really hasn't been that much time, and we really can't see that far. I think it's important to bring up like radio waves too, because that was they do, they went from what we could see into what we could hear. And like, you know, and I, I don't know quite enough about ra how radio waves work, um, but that uh, a reach with that is farther, right? We can receive farther and, and project farther with that, correct? I mean, it's uh, <laughs> light is the, the it's it's our speed limit of the universe. You, radio waves still travel slower than light. Yeah, but um, we can. We so can, yeah, we, we can. Um, send radio waves to places that we can't see and hear from those places. As right. Well, right. Yes. So I'm not talking about like seeing dark places. I'm talking about, um, oh, seeing places. See. Yeah. Even, even across our own, um, galaxy, galaxy here, like the, the Milky ways, uh, is a hundred thousand light years across or something like that. Mm -hmm. So like if humans have been around for 10,000 of those years, Okay, um, so we're still a factor of 10 away from being able to see ourselves if we're any significant distance away. Um, and, and with that, I mean, our tools to be able to see stuff, uh, or radio waves for that matter, um, emitting into space, it's been like 100 years. <laughs> so our, our relative field of vision or emission it seems extremely small um, compared to the massive void of space. So my question, and it seems this is a good time to bring it up, is what do you two view as the answer to the Fermi paradox? No, it seems like you're saying that there just hasn't been enough time. Yeah, if if you want a solid answer from, I guess, my perspective after listening to this, it's just we're so small and so young that we just haven't been able to 
have the time to see things. Mm. Matthew, what's your ideas? You know, uh, thanks for putting me on the spot. I, um, (laughs) I, uh, you know, I like to, I like to contemplate metaphysics and I like to think about limitations in human perception and not for fun, obviously. This is not like I'm like sitting in the waiting room of the doctor's office thinking about those kinds of things. I'm usually thinking about how much I'm dreading it, but like to answer the question, I would say that, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like there's much use in even thinking about it. Like, I love the, uh, you know, I would never be so bold as to compare myself, but a perfect example I like to think of is um, if you've read Sherlock Holmes' a study in Scarlet, you know, Sherlock Holmes, he doesn't know the planetary alignment or he doesn't know the order of the planets or something. And he's like, why would I want to know something that has nothing to do with my life? Like, it's just a, a fact, really, that I can never prove. I can never prove it with empirical data. I can never observe it in, in a way that I will believe. So I just simply forgot that information, you know, to fill my brain with other information. Um, Obviously, that's not how the human brain works. But at the same time, I think sitting around here and thinking about, I don't mean to sound so negative either, because it's not a negative thing. I, I think I would rather busy myself with other ideas. And I don't know, I think I think everything that Noah said is totally relevant. And I really appreciated all that stuff about how, I mean, we're basically at the zoo and we look through the screen where there's a animal display. And instead of looking at the animal moving around at that moment, we're basically looking at the animal moving a hundred years after, you know, (laughs) when we don't really know if there even is an animal anymore. We don't really know. It's like the uncertainty is just too overwhelming to me. And so I just accept it as what it is. And I don't know. I think that I can continue to live my life in a very quote unquote normal way without knowing that information. And again, I don't mean to sound like such a, like I'm not trying to sound cynical or, or even like a jerk or whatever, (laughs) but uh, I don't know. Like it, it doesn't bother me a lot. Um, So I, I don't know. I kind of like want to abstain from answering at all. Really? Mm. What about you, Max? Well, uh, just real quick. Um, It seems to me, and I really, I enjoy this, that view, Matthew, but it seems to me like you're just accepting that it is a paradox and moving on with your life. (laughs) I think that's honorable. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, Honestly, guys, I, I don't think there is other life out there. So that's my answer really? to it. I what's, think what's uh, what's your thinking about that? I think pretty much that Goldilocks zone. Um, I think. Uh, well, I, hmm. at, at, <laughs> at the risk at the risk of um, uh, creating some some heavy uh, stereotypes. Uh, or reinforce them. I, I would have to say I am a Christian, um, <laughs> uh, I, but I do believe in science. Um, but I, I think that the way the, the I see the world has been put together is just too complex and too unlikely uh, to happen by chance. And mm-hmm. 
for that to happen other places. I don't know that like, I feel like even if we are looking 10,000 years back, we would be able to observe a planet that we're like, Oh yeah, that'd be, that'd be, that's a good place to, uh, that we could like possibly observe life developing. And, but you know, at, at the same time, I kind of fall back into that camp with Matthew. Like I, probably will not ever know. <laughs> um, yes. I, I think uh, Matthew's way of looking at it is actually um, pretty cool because I think uh, this is kind of like a, a in a way, a superfluous debate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it, I think it's more for fun. Oh, for sure. it's uh, it, it's just kind of entertaining. Well, that's how it started, um, right? Scientists around right, a lunch table. Right. And, and it's kind of like a good brain exercise as well, too. It's like, um, you know, what you're thinking for or against it and like, you know, what, what evidence are you bringing to the table? And then you, you know, new ideas are presented and maybe it'll sway your thinking. It's, it's, it's just kind of like a, a fun conversation that gets your, gets your wheels spinning a little bit. Uh, there's well, a, uh, you know, oh, sorry. go for it, Matthew. No, it's, sorry. I just, um, it's, I don't know. I do want to say though, that it's, it's really boring being in that pragmatist camp. You know what I mean? It's like awfully boring. <laughs> Just saying, oh, well, it doesn't exactly pertain to my life, really. But, you know, at the same time, I, I, I think it's relevant. And this entire conversation from the start, I've wanted to say, like, okay, this entire debate is just basically like a science fiction novel by Ray Bradbury or, <laughs> you know, or Star Wars or something. And I just, I don't know. It's just, I immediately want to discredit it that way. But maybe because I want to discredit it that way is because it's intimidating to me. You know, like I've, I've been kind of sitting here listening to you guys and I'm like, I wonder if it's just because like I'm intimidated by the lack of control that I have, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like in the the lack of control and looking up at a, at a sky with stars that are, that time has already passed through, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, and it's easy to sit there and be like practical or cynical, like, oh, it's, you know, whatever, like I don't need to fill my brain with absurd ideas or things that should be made into movies or whatever, you know, but it's just like, I don't know. It's kind of daunting to even think about. And I'm not even saying sitting there and like contemplating it is, is taxing. I'm saying that like, it's really overwhelming. Like, and if I'm being totally blunt with you guys, I find it totally overwhelming to fathom even the possibility of, you know, like you said, Noah, thinking of however many billion years was it 13.5 billion years. That's, I mean, that's a, that's absurd. Um, and even the amount of time that humans have been alive is totally absurd. And the concept of time itself is totally absurd. <laughs> Reality is pretty damn absurd if you ask me. And I don't know, but if I stay up at night and I think about all those questions and I think about all these paradoxes, I think I'm just going to make my brain into a pretzel and then probably just get really insecure about how little control I have over pretty much anything. <laughs> you know, I'll probably just go and feed my sister's dog and <laughs> eat some food and just, <laughs> those are things I do have control over, but I don't know. I think there's a kind of a beautiful surrender in, in thinking about it. And it, it, you know, just kind of an exercise in, in humor really to think about such things. I mean, Fermi, maybe he wasn't a great theorist, but he was hilarious in my opinion. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, like like I said, it's a it's a good brain exercise. I think it's just it's kind of fun, you know. It it, it is uh, a daunting. I mean, I liked I like that word you use. It's it's yeah. it's overwhelming if you get too deep into it because there is no control. It's uh, happenstance of of where you are. Um, but anyway, it's uh, Max. I actually wanted to touch back on a previous point you made about um, things being put together too perfect because I feel like we kind of. Uh, moved around that pretty quick to get back to Matthew's point. But um, just kind of poking at your, um, I guess, uh, thinking or your your uh, your statement there. Um, Bold of you things, to assume that, I think. Well, well, just the, that, um, you know, like things, things are put together too perfectly. Um, that I I mean that's that's from our own perspective, is it not? It seems like we've developed because of the happenings here on Earth, but all that seems to be just right, like like the Goldilocks zone. But there's there's other um, regions, even within our own galaxy, um, that have very similar. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, conditions, foundations for uh, establishing and building life. Um, not that it's necessarily happening there. It's just, um, what what in your mind makes it so perfect? Um, you know, I went to this museum in Chicago, and um, my memory fails me of the name, but it was a science museum, I think. I can't remember if it was natural science or not, but there was an exhibit in there about um, math in nature, or, or just math, really. Um, and everything comes down, everything can come down to patterns and, you know, like the golden ratio and things like this. Um, things that are found, like, just in everything. And even in the way that humans create uh like music for example um they were they claimed and i, I don't have a, a set view on this yet but they they were making the claim that even like percussion like drums mirror um and reflect the way that waves crash um and like i think it's called a uh, fractal branching like the way that trees uh, you know, the limbs of trees separate and the way that uh, leaves come out and how that mirrors uh, like the human lung um, and and uh, rivers like within the Amazon. And there just seems to be too much overlap for me to think that like you know, whatever we can observe, it seems to boil down to that, and it, it just so seems then, too perfect. Like <laughs> yeah, so so then I guess my my follow up would uh, would be: do you, do you believe in creationism, or is it more of like a, an evolution? Like where so, did we come from? So I I take the stance of the uh, old Earth, and this goes into a whole bunch of different camps within uh, the Christian faith and and others. Um, yeah, I, I fall into an old earth camp. So, uh, 
kind of how to phrase um uh maybe not maybe not like the like a seven day literal creation but more of a uh like a day in the age uh it's called day and age um theory so be that as it may it honestly it, it comes down to and i kind of what matthew was talking about like it's one of those things where i'm not hedging my bets if my faith is not um founded in however old the earth is like <laughs> um no no, no i'm not i'm but, not trying to challenge no, challenge no, faith and, at all I'm, I'm more thinking along the lines of of you presented the ideas of of you know fractal growth or or um the way things resemble each other between nature and, and people and animals but um from like an evolutionary biological standpoint mm -hmm. um things uh, evolve for their best suited needs um so that's why you see similarities um, among a lot of things in in my opinion um and that's that's why i was trying to understand what you're thinking is like what with the where yeah what I, your foundation is yeah I, I i believe that uh god is in control of these things and created and used you know natural laws to create and that's i guess that's where i sit with it um does that answer the question? And even if, if you know, if you do have questions that like push against faith, I'd love to hear them. Like, heck, that's <laughs> that's the whole reason I want to study is to get challenged. I guess just one prod further, but using natural laws to create um, is that by definition evolution or something different? Um, uh, no hard set stance on it. In all honesty. Um, I guess it could be. Um, I have my doubts about it, you know, like even up to like the mid 19th century, you know, people thought that there were aliens on Venus and Mars. Like, <laughs> like I just have my doubts about it. Um, but I, I want, I seek after the truth and that's about all I can say on it. Um, yeah. You know, um, just that last bit you said about seeking the truth. I mean, I think really to circle back to the Fermi paradox, I mean, that's really what it's all about, isn't it? It's, it is about finding clarity. It's about answering the, you know, answering something that's really unknown. And I mean, I think I'll stand by what I said before about like how daunting of uh, a realization either of those solutions to the paradox are possible solutions. Okay, there is life or there's not. I think that either of those answers is probably really overwhelming to receive um, just because it's it would kind of uproot a lot of systems that have developed as a result of that not knowing i mean uncertainty is though it doesn't seem like it i feel it's often a foundation for a lot of things um 
a lot of people base decisions on on uncertainty. Um, and I mean, that's probably one of my biggest mottos in life is just to expect the unexpected stuff. Um, but I don't know. I feel like in spite of not knowing the answer to that, we do come to a sort of truth. And maybe that truth is just is just uncertainty. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe we cope with that certainty in different ways. And maybe some of us feel more certain than others. And I think it's all just kind of subjective. So there's no point in really trying to address it. But I don't know. I think uncertainty moves mountains, to be honest. And I think that there's a certain amount of acceptance that there are a lot of factors we can be certain about. There are some that we may be somewhat certain about, but I mean, really, isn't that kind of what the Fermi paradox is about? Like truth and certainty, unless you guys disagree. Oh, I, would agree yeah, I think that. that's the basis of it. Yeah. So there's no smoother way for me to think of a transition, but, um, What was the other podcast that we were planning to discuss? I think it was just this one this week. It was just this one. Oh, mm. well, for whatever reason, I thought we were going to be discussing poetry this time. So, I... <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry. Go ahead, you guys. Go ahead. Sorry. No worries. I, I did listen to the next one. Um, I did, too. We so if you that. want to jump into it, Matthew. <laughs> you know, I'd be, I'd, I would love to jump into it. Go ahead, you, jump uh, into it, yeah. Maybe we could uh, we could start out by reading the poem that we you know did uh, that we listened to. Do you have pulled up? I do have it pulled up. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so this is a poem uh, from Poetry Unbound. It is called "From Blossoms" by Lee Young Lee. Um, my first encounter with this poet was actually when I was having a discussion with a colleague of mine back in Chicago uh, about how time. Speaking of time how time works in train stations where um, depending on the status of the train that you're either getting on or getting off, uh, it does seem to go faster or slower. And uh, I think uh, this poet wrote a poem that was very much based on an idea of how time is different in, in train stations or how trains make time different. So I don't know, just a little background, but I'll just read this poem uh, from Blossoms really quick and maybe we can discuss it a little bit. From blossoms comes this brown paper bag of peaches we bought from the boy at the bend in the road where we turned towards signs painted peaches. From laden boughs, from hands, from sweet fellowship in the bins comes nectar at the roadside. Succulent peaches we devour, dusty skin and all. Comes the familiar dust of summer dust we eat. Oh, to take what we love inside, to carry within us an orchard, to eat not only the skin, but the shade, not only the sugar, but the days, to hold the fruit in our hands, adore it, and bite into the round jubilance of peach. There are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background. From joy to joy to joy, from wing to wing, from blossom to blossom to impossible blossom to sweet impossible blossom, 
Beautiful. That's a beautiful one. So, what do you guys think about it? I like it. I'm uh, not the biggest <laughs> poet fan, um, just because half the time I'm confused about what's going on, um, and I don't understand the message. But this one, for me, is really cool. It just seems to slow everything down and break it down. I mean, it's a simple object, a peach, and then you see everything that came you know, everything that had to happen for the peach to be the peach and that you enjoy that peach and all its experiences and, and how it is. It's just really cool the way it slows it down. Steps you back. I enjoyed uh, from Poetry Unbound. I thought it was really helpful hearing the uh, discussion that they had on it, or the, you know, the unraveling. That's it. true too. Because I, yeah. I agree with you, Noah. Like, I, 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 well, I fully, I really enjoy poetry, and I, I write a little bit, um, but I still struggle to like understand some of the concepts that poets get after because they use such beautiful language, um, like a peach, to describe life um, is what the the podcast was talking about, if I remember correctly. And it just, it boggles my mind. It does slow me down. It makes me think, like, honestly, how much beauty is around me that I just overlook sometimes, or most of the time, even. You know, if I had to say that there was one thing that, uh, yeah, you can't, I'm sorry, I can't, there's no way that I can say that poetry is one thing. I mean, one small component of poetry for me is exactly how it deals with time kind of like we've been talking about this this you know this whole discussion i mean like you know like you both said like how this particular poem sort of slows you down and it asks you to focus on something small and something that seems very simple but something that is saying something to you whether you're listening or not but another thing that i feel like is really important is not only the time but also like the significance of some of of giving something meaning so probably at least for me when i think of peaches in poems i immediately think of t.s Eliot. and i don't know if you guys ever read uh that quite famous poem by him the the love song of j alfred proofrock you guys familiar with that one i'm not mm -hmm. um it's kind of uh difficult to say what that poem is about so I, i'm just gonna not but uh, there's quite a part in there and it says you know do i dare to eat a peach you know um and you know <laughs> it, it seems like he's making the peach elliot is you know he's making the peach into a a microcosm like a smaller version of the whole universe and he's like do i dare to eat a peach sort of i imagine him in my mind sort of holding this peach in his hand like the entire universe is contained within this one little tiny peach. You know, a peach itself has a, a seed, a core, kind of like the earth. It kind of just, if all of the universe were contained in that tiny peach, it's like he was holding it in his hand. The peach has a representation of the universe. And it's like, instead of it's just being an object, just a thing, you know, sitting there, it's like, it's an object imbued with incredible meaning and significance. And, the kind of meaning and significance that I think is really important in idolatry. Like, this is a small piece of brass, but it is an image of the Buddha, and therefore 
it's a very important reminder of you know buddhist practice and of what a lifestyle that you know that has to do with buddhism you know is about so why can't uh, in my you know if i were to phrase this all in a question i mean why can't a peach be a sacred object or a relic you know if we imbue it with that kind of meaning That's a really cool way to think about a peach. Yeah. But you'll never think about a peach the same again. Honestly, I'll probably go to eat a peach and, and think of this poem. It really is is cool. And like as I sit here, I, I pulled it up on my end too, and as I just sit here and look at the words, it's just really cool. I mean, look at the way it flows from from the origin of the peach through like its lifetime and then into like yours. And it's kind of like a melding of like your understanding of where you are and what what's going on with along you know along with like the peach and how it's come to be as well and it's kind of like an understanding in a way. But. You know, and I think uh, just sort of going off of that, I mean. So much of uh, Japanese, like uh, classical or ancient Japanese poetry, is is uh, so much of it is informed by Zen, by Zen Buddhist practice, you know, practices, and um, it's about just zooming in on something so close that instead of being a complex, you know, difficult thing, you know, that could be perceived as chaotic back to the conversation about you know things being too perfect or or chaotic you know that a hyper simplified thing is is just perfect you know what i mean anything complex in the whole world can be broken down and and zoomed in on so closely that it is imbued with a kind of perfect light and is overwhelming but what's overwhelming about it is how simple it is and yet how it affects you as a person or how it can tease your emotions and make you think about your own existence, you know, which is why I think that, you know, so much of our discussion about the Fermi paradox has to do with at least this poem. But I think that that's kind of what this poem is following an interesting tradition of not only, you know, T.S. Eliot and his famous peach of the universe or whatever, but like also, just like any single object in the world, I feel like zoomed in on really close is kind of perfect or can be given a sort of new meaning that it gives it a kind of perfection. But I don't know. That's just talking about like the meaning of the poem, I guess. I don't know. I mean, where do you guys, uh, where do you guys fall on that one? I mean, not to completely derail this, but, um, just as a side note of zooming in on things, I mean, you could basically state that that's what um, like social media lifestyle is. You know, it's like uh, your perfect life because you're just zooming in on the certain parts that you want to. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a totally important plug right there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. For all the Gen Zs listening, <laughs> yeah, everything's perfect when you decide to you know filter it and pick out what you want. And yeah, make it just a small little section of of the overall picture 
Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, but I am also hung up on the language of zooming in and zooming out. I mean, just depending on what you focus on, you'll find more peace or more chaotic, you know, like emotions. I think. Yeah, and, and I think you can find, you know, peace or, or chaos and in zooming out or zooming in, like it's not, you know, limited to one, but um, like I find a lot of peace and when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I actually think about how big the universe is and like, you know what, like whatever problem I might have at the end of the day, I'm on a rock and in, in space, <laughs> you know, but I also find that same peace listening to that poem um, or, you know, uh, just this, this last week, it was a really nice day here in Tennessee. And, uh, I sat outside by a stream and just stuck my, f my feet in the water and just sat there. And it was that same peace, simplicity, you know, um, that's something I, th I think I, I deeply value that in life. I think that's kind of what we should, or, uh, Maybe not what everybody should aim for, but I think it's necessary. Peaches. Peaches will now remind me of that. Yep, we'll never see a peach the same again. I'm better for <laughs> Pretty it. fruit for that matter, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know, plums? Eh, plums are just plums. Uh -uh. Argument could be made for plums too, I imagine. <laughs> no, I think, I think I'm, I'm a better person for conversation interesting how we transitioned from the fermi paradox to peaches but you know what i mean is it is it so strange that the conversation that boils down to truth and certainty would have something to do with peaches you know you know what i mean can we i mean kind of back to the beginning like can you empirically say that you're sitting in a seat right now can you empirically say that you have hands. I would like, like to believe I can, but you know philosophy better than I do. <laughs> oh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'll be honest with you, though. It's like one of those things where you can always be like 99.999% sure, but there's always just a tiny bit of uncertainty. And given, you know, how faulty a lot of the time human perception can be, you know, you can't really know any of that stuff. I mean, I suppose one of the examples I always give my students is like, how, how do I know that I'm not like in an insane asylum and you guys are like other insane patients and I'm just totally imagining that I'm a teacher and I'm, I'm teaching you something or I'm just yelling, I'm in a straitjacket. You know, how do you know for certain anything? And I'd say the same thing, you know, here we are, you know, you got a peach in your hand and, and it is the peach really there? Is there other life out in the universe? Is the peach the universe? And then it kind of makes you feel like all reality is just kind of... You guys couldn't see me, but I just shrugged. Um, yeah. It's all well, kind of based on to stuff. To throw this back on you, Matthew, does that level of thinking... Is that helpful? Is that something that uh, is worth thinking about? Like, like with the Fermi Paradox, like at some level it's just not worth thinking about anymore. No, I see exactly what you're saying. And, and uh, I would almost say that you raise a very, very good point. Um, almost. I, again, again, you know, really just for 
for fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, what is any thinking and what is any questioning besides just, I mean, questioning the stuff that is uncertain, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Speculation. Uh, I mean, when there's no empiricism involved, it is mere speculation. I mean, unless you can, you know, pull out a fancy, you know, machine that can judge the distance between certain things or can judge gaps in time or, you know, until there's a machine that can do that for us or, or even begin to contemplate what different realities are. Um, I mean, idle speculation is kind of just, I don't know, the classic image of the poet is like a shepherd in ancient times, an ancient Greek shepherd or something, just sort of sitting out like watching sheep and just daydreaming about apparently the nature of reality. I mean, I don't know, maybe poetry, poetry is kind of a, a remedy for a uncertainty or a lack of knowledge or maybe it just asks us to refocus on the stuff that's in our face like a peach yeah i think it's i think it's like a like a push and pull almost like we have this this massive um daunting question of of the fermi paradox and then you can pull that back in and and kind of ground yourself and look at the simplicities of of what we have and it's 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 like you know we have this it, it's a big scale and then we have a small scale and it's you know it's it's a push and pull it's it's expanding ourselves outwards into chaos and then pulling ourselves back into understanding and something we can comprehend and wrap our minds around and say I get it feel comfortable And to be somewhat certain about maybe. I mean, somewhat certain about maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry. That's yeah. I just I, I can feel a little <laughs> more confident about holding a peach. You know, I, I feel somewhat confident that I'm holding a peach. Whereas, I I can give it a few empirical tests. I can toss it up and down. I can obviously I can take a bite of it. I can you know what I mean. I can study it with a microscope. But uh, still, at the end of the day, I'm. I th think you're you're fine to assume that you are holding a peach, but I think assuming things like that without even a shred of doubt is, is dangerous sometimes. But again, I think that's what the world of science would have us believe or, or metaphysical philosophers would be like, no, you're not actually holding a peach at all. <laughs> you know, you can't ever prove it. So. Yeah. I mean, what this is kind of hinting at is have you, have you guys ever watched uh, the Truman show? I haven't, but yeah. it's actually on my list for you know, sometime this semester. Ah, it's, it's it's fantastic. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's very yeah, good. Jim Carrey does a great job. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, what it is like, um, he's he's a man trapped in his reality, but his reality is just a TV show. So his whole life is just a set, basically. Uh, um, right. Uh, he he doesn't know that. So. Um, you know how certain can you be about anything in life <laughs> it just it's it's kind of like the way you, you know matthew you were phrasing how do i know i'm holding a peach or how do i know i'm sitting in a chair how do i know that you know what i'm doing here in my house with you know my friends are going out and stuff isn't all part of a, a grand tv show you know <laughs> that's just a you know an example but yeah very cool movie uh, I feel like we're coming to an end here. Are there any concluding thoughts? 
you know, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've pretty much said everything, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't want listeners to misunderstand what I'm trying to say either. I'm obviously I'm not that, pra- I'm not that pragmatic or, or that cynical. I, um, I like to think that, you know, all of us equally, you know, we're very good at, uh, humoring other possibilities and approaching everything with a very Socratic, you know, sort of open-minded attitude. So, you know, whether you're a physicist or a, or a science fiction writer, I think that, uh, I think all these things are deeply relevant because they're instructive on ways of thinking, really. Um, they're instructive because even while we're sitting here thinking of different arguments for, for or against, you know, other life in the universe, I mean, we are, you know, accessing parts of our brain that are, you know, that allow us to, to create an argument or to think rationally or logically or to put together a set of pieces of evidence for some kind of explanation. I mean, even sitting here debating it with you guys, I do feel like I've grown as a person and I've learned something, you know? So even if there's not much, you know, even if there's not much uh, credit in, you know, the theory itself, I mean, even theorizing is, is productive. So I think, um, I think that'd probably be the last thing I uh, would say. Stop thinking. Well said, guys. Well said. I I agree. I think I've grown as a person because of this. Uh, well, to any of our listeners that made it this far, uh, first off, thank you. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, be sure to share us on your preferred media platform. Um, and if you have any podcasts that you'd like us to talk about on here, uh, send us an email at wirelessbuds22 at gmail.com. Uh, as always, the podcast we've talked about and our contact information will be in the episode description. Take care. Cheers.